You found this podcast probably because you know a little bit about our ministry called Time of Grace and our passion about connecting people to God through all kinds of media. Well, did you know that we do a lot more besides just television and podcasting? If you check out our website, timeofgrace.org, you're going to find tons of ways to learn about the good news of Jesus, from daily written devotions to daily video devotions, tons of podcasts, blogs, our Bible basic series called Bible Breath, and books and books and resources and more resources to help you in your walk with God. So if you're interested in any of that, just go to timeofgrace.org. Well, hello out there, podcasting friends. Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace with another episode of Behind This Series. As usual, in recent months, I'm so blessed to have with us Amber L.B. Swenson, the one and only. She's back. Do we do we pay you extravagant amounts to be on these podcasts, tons, Amber? Is this just free of charge? Mm-hmm. No, I, I bought a new mansion and a helicopter <laughs> since the last time we spoke, so... Yeah. Well, wait, we're not that kind of ministry <laughs> before people think we're serious. <laughs> I no, I'm love not saying serious that. at all. I love saying that to like the ushers at our church, you know, who volunteer. I'm like, man, you were doing such a good job today. I'm going to talk to the staff and triple your pay. There you go. And I, I don't know if that's insulting to them or if it's a compliment, but they give me a token laugh. So, hey, better good to have you back. Better to be an usher in the house of the Lord, right? Isn't that a psalm? Yeah. Better to be an usher in the house of the Lord. A doorkeeper. Sorry. There it is. Doorkeeper. doorkeeper. We don't have doorkeepers, but... Hmm. Yeah. Well, welcome back to Behind the Series. We are uh, we're excited about a brand new series on the book of Job that has a title that I like. Um, Amber, you said you liked it too. It's called? Loved it. Seriously, God. Uh, oh. No, wait. Let me say it correctly. Say it better. Seriously, God. Yep. Turn it up even more. Try it again. Seriously, God? Oh, there it is. That's the teenager. <laughs> Bring out your inner See? teenager. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, God? Yeah. So this series, it, it kind of comes from that place of confusion, maybe anger, annoyance, like, okay, God, if you are God, yeah. if you're the one who loves me, the one who controls everything, seriously, this, this is what you're going to do with my mm-hmm. life. And so we're kind of running what five weeks over the book of Job, trying to cover it from front to back, all 42 chapters and really dig into that common experience when you don't understand the situation in your life. You know, it could be a financial thing, could be a, a physical ailment, chronic pain, loss of someone you love, just the world going nuts. Like, God, if, if I was at the control board, God, I would not do it this way. So seriously, this is how you're going to run the world. So let's, let's talk about that. Where do you want to start? So the first sermon is called, this is why God lets me suffer. And I have to say, Mike, you and I had some conversations in the car while I was listening to these. I don't think you heard them hmm. as you were talking. You're like the big idea for this sermon, the book of Job. And I was like suffering. I, I answered right out loud because I wanted to be your prize sermon sir, or student. I was like, suffering. We all know the book of Job is about suffering. Mm. And you did not say suffering. You said it's about God's love. And my mouth dropped and I nearly got into a car accident. And I went, Job is about God's love. If you were to ask 10 out of 10 Christians, what is the book of Job on? I don't think even one would say God's love. I, I don't. So it's such a twist that that is the big idea for the sermon series. So where did you come up with that? Yeah. Are you, are you calling me a false teacher or not 10 at all. out of 10? That was pretty bold. <laughs> I don't yeah. think, I honestly don't think if you ask any 
Christian who knows the book of Job, like yeah. what is the book of Job about? I, yeah. I don't think God's love is in the top five answers. Yeah, you're, you're probably right about that. Um, I really took that from the very opening verses of the book, like the whole setup before you get to Job's suffering. The question mm-hmm. is, Satan asked God, do you think Job really loves you? Like, hey, here's this guy. He's super righteous. He's super faithful. He, he tries to keep all your commandments. But look at look at how spoiled he is, God. You're mm-hmm. you're like a grandpa. You're not even like his father. You're like his grandpa. You just keep giving him stuff and more mm-hmm. stuff and more stuff. So he has the family. He has the marriage. He has the flocks. He has the success. He has the comfort. He has the health. And so me, the, the question that actually leads to the suffering is, do you think Job's love is genuine? Essentially, does he actually love you or is he just using you? Is he saying the prayers? Is he doing the worship thing? Because he knows if he pushes those buttons out of the big divine vending machine comes this really comfortable, beautiful life. Um, and, and to me, that that's really a profound thing to think. I think Job is just kind of an uncommon version of a super common situation. When life is hard, do we still love God? Or do we turn on him, shake a fist at heaven, stop believing in him, doubt him, distrust him, disobey him? So to me, man, the, the book of Job, it seems so weird, you know, God and Satan having a conversation and yeah. fireballs from heaven and, you know, boils mm-hmm. scratching with pieces of pottery. But it's actually, I mean, it's the same situation we face when you lose a job or he wants a divorce or you can't get pregnant or, you know, you go through a breakup. Like when it's hard, what does your soul think of God? Is it love yeah. or is it not? That's what the book of Job is all about. Yeah. All of us come to a place where we have to really define who God is to us. Like, is he your genie mm. or is he your Lord and savior? Because mm. they're very, very different things. So when yeah. he answers, no, if you're really ticked off at God, he might be your genie. Yeah. But if you're accepting anyway, we'll get into that. Yeah. Very rarely though. I was thinking about, I mean, all throughout this, we're going to get into this more, but when I, comfort friends or try to comfort friends. And, you know, when suffering is a big part of the conversation and when it's profound suffering, you know, when Hmm. someone loses a child or a spouse or whatever, very late, very rarely, I don't think I ever lead off with, but God loves you. Hmm. Like God, God loves you. So why is this so important in our suffering, Hmm. whether it's us or other people to remember that this is a huge part of the equation? Yeah. Um, so back when I was in seminary, we learned this kind of nerdy, fancy Latin phrase. I'm not sure if you've heard it. It was called the opinio legis. Have you heard that before? I've heard it, but I don't. Yeah. So it literally means the opinion of the law and kind of the teaching is within every human heart is this really stubborn, almost impossible to eradicate idea that if I do enough, God will give me good things. Uh, right. So you have like getting to heaven. If I do enough good things, I'm going to get to heaven. That's the opinion legus. It's deep in my heart. Well, the same thing happens with suffering. Like there's this thing inside of us that says, if I do enough good things, then God's going to give me a good life. And so what happens when we don't have such a good life, when it's, it's complicated in our family or with our bodies or whatever, our instinct is to think, well, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I haven't done enough. Maybe I'm not right with him. Um, this actually happened to me as a kid when I, I remember when I was really little, like single digits, I would get the flu and I'd just be you know, sitting there in the bathroom with a, like a plastic garbage can I'm throwing up. And I, I remember my early prayers as a little Christian were, God, 
I, I really don't know what I did wrong, but I'm sorry. <laughs> like okay. I'll, I'll go, I'll go to church. I'll pray some more. Like my instinct was just to equate sickness equals sin. Um, mm-hmm. Life is hard. God must be mad. And so, yeah, maybe it's not the first thing you say when someone is going through something difficult, but I wonder if the devil isn't poking them in the heart saying, ah, oh, you see, it's because of what you did. It's because God is mad. And so whether it's the love God has for us in our suffering or the love we have for God in our suffering, that's why I'm so convinced the book of Job is all about the love of God. Mm, that's awesome. I love too, that at the end of the sermon, you were talking about every time you come to church, even though you're suffering. Mm. So when the things are bad, you're proving yes. that you're proving that I'm here, not just to get the good stuff, like yes. you're proving your relationship with God, oh. you know, in you're kind of sticking your tongue out at Satan. Like that's, that's yes. such a huge thing that I don't think we actually think about so often that you know, when we keep going, when we keep praying, when we stay in the word, when we're still faithful, even though everything's going wrong, yes, you're showing God and Satan both. Yes. You know, I know God loves me and that means something and I'm in for the long haul. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Like the apostle Peter said, where else can I go? Yeah, that's great. I bet there are people listening to this podcast right now who like the fact that they didn't delete all their Christian podcasts like even though he left and even though the pregnancy test was negative again, mm-hmm. and even though their kid is rebelling, the fact that they didn't like totally turn on God, they're just listening right now. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, a moment of worship. The fact that they are still here is so beautiful. And that's such a person, perfect segue into the next sermon, which is I should praise God, even though I'm hurting. And <laughs> you talk about worship at the beginning of this, and it's yeah. so easy to worship when things are good but it's a little harder when things aren't good. And you said that our worship proves that God is worthy. So sometimes when things are not going well for us, and especially those of us who have a lot of friends at church, if we're embarrassed at all, if Mm. there's something made, you know, your son's in jail or, Mm. you know, those things that you just, you're not prepared to face the people at church. Yeah there's a tendency or a temptation, I guess, to just want to be like, man, I am not going back. Like I will go back when things get better, but I can't go back now. I can't face them. I can't, I can't be there. Why is that not the best option when Mm. things are going really, really badly in our Um, lives? Oh man, Amber, I, I so get this and I so hate this, that when life is bad, people don't show up. Like I, I can think of a friend who went through a divorce and just, I didn't, I didn't see her at church for months, you know, cause someone was going to ask, well, how's your husband? Cause they hadn't heard yeah. or she's right in the middle of the divorce court. It's a mess. And she's going to cry. And I'm just, I mean, stepping back and thinking, Hey, the Christian church is the place you come when everything is perfect. <laughs> like Jesus, Jesus yeah. would throw up in his mouth. If someone said that to him, like, no, the, the reason he established the church was so that when you mess up. When, when you don't have anything left, you can come and gather around with people who need mercy and grace and remind each other in those moments that God is worthy and that God is still loving. So the fact, I, mean, I, I get it, we're people, we want to impress people, we want to look like we don't need pity or help, but man, that, that it literally is what the church of Jesus Christ is for. It's to help us when we need it. And so if you need it, 
Like if it's just a terrible, if you can't hold it together, go to, go to church, right? Don't, don't hide in your bed where no one will preach you the gospel or put an arm around your shoulder. Yeah. Like th- this is the place. Um, our pastor said, was preaching last Sunday. Um, he stole this quote from somewhere. The church is not like the hall of fame of saints. It's a hospital for sinners. Ah, have you heard of Matthew West? I have. Do you know his song? Truth be told. Um, yes, I think I've heard it's that all about this. Like if we were just telling the truth, instead of saying, you know, oh, oh. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm fine. And he says the line in there, shouldn't church be more like a hospital, yeah. like a place that we can gather and comfort and take care of each other. And that yeah. song is so poignant because it, the, the point of the song is like, Hey guys, let's just take the masks off our face. Yes. And instead of going to church every day or every Sunday and being like, no, I'm fine. Oh, things are great. Yes. Actually walk in and say, you know what? I'm struggling. Like mm. my family's a mess Yep. or I think I'm losing my job and I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. So, yeah, you know, and, and just being um, real. So, so true. And think of what happens if you go to church and if your church is a little bit more transparent and open, you know, there you are on day one of you have cancer, but sitting right in front of you, like folding her hands to pray to Jesus is a woman who's a year down the road or a guy who lost his wife because of cancer. So like the examples that you need to get you through day one, they're literally right there in worship, proving that they still love God in the midst of their pain. And so you know, that community to inspire you and encourage you is just so essential. So go to church, put it in your calendar right now. If you're listening, just mm-hmm. push the little button on your phone. That's a repeat event and put ending date when I die, <laughs> and just highs and lows, hills and valleys, just be there to hear some good news about Jesus and receive the love of your brothers and sisters. Yeah. And even if you're really struggling, find one person. Mm. I just had, a, I just turned around two weeks ago and saw a woman I had never seen in church before. I'm like, Hey, I don't think I've seen you before. And she's like, Oh, I am a prodigal. And I'm like, mm-hmm. tell me everything I, you know, and, and just sat down and talked to her. And you know what the, the misconception is that all of us are going to shun you. And the truth is all of, a lot. Most, I hope all of mm-hmm. us yeah. are going to wrap our arms around you and say, welcome home. We're so glad you're here. Yes. So give somebody mm-hmm. in church a chance. That's what I would say. So Corey Ten Boom said, hold everything loosely so that God doesn't have to pry it out of your hands to take it away. And Corey Ten Boom, if you don't remember, she was in World War II. She was in, um, I don't know if it was Auschwitz, but anyway, one of the camps and lost her sister who she was super close to. Her dad died in prison. Mm-hmm. And um, so she knew all about loss. And you said in the sermon, give God the right to bless you richly or sparingly, and you won't accuse God of doing wrong. Both of those quotes are about expectations. So how do we ground our expectations biblically so that we don't get the wrong idea about God, that we're not mad at him if our expectations aren't mad Mm. or aren't met? Yeah. Wow. That if I could go back and maybe if I could just tell myself every morning, expectations are everything. Expectations are everything. (laughs) You know, what do you expect from the weather? What do you expect from your church? What do you expect from your kids? What do you, you know, that is such a huge determining factor of our joy or our sorrow. It's rarely the thing that happens. It's more the thing you expect it to happen. Right. So if you expect your friends never to sin against you, Oh, you're going to be so heartbroken and shocked when they actually prove to be sinners. Um, yeah. So your question, how how do you do that with God? 
<laughs> here's what I wrote in my notes, Amber. I said, pick a person, any Bible person, and I bet their story was harder than yours. Really? Anybody? David, Abraham, Solomon, Peter, Paul, James, John, Mary had a baby, and then the king tried to murder her infant child. So she had to become an immigrant and flee across lines. Um, pick an apostle, pick a prophet, go Old Testament, go New, like it, it is actually hard to find someone that has an easier life than I do in the entire Bible. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I was thinking even like Daniel, I mean, he was taken away from his family, taken away from everything. He was exiled, you know, he was, yeah. Yeah, I, just the the infertility, the loss, the yeah. death, the persecution, the imprisonment. So, you know, your question was, how do we have biblical exploitations? My, it's a little trite, but it, pick pick any page of the Bible <laughs> and just read it with open eyes saying, what you know, what happened in Corinth? or in Athens, right. or in Jerusalem, or in the fifth century BC, or the first century, eight, it's almost like pick a page, any page, pick a person, any person, and you will find pain, persecution, and God will adjust your expectations to just the right level for life on earth. Mm, that's good and important. Like you said, I think our, our, <laughs> our expectations so often just set us up for despair and disaster. Okay, moving on. So how am I supposed to comfort others is the next sermon. Mm. And being a good friend, you talk about Job's friends. And in this sermon, you are just talking about Job chapter two. <laughs> so we're yes. not going to get into their friendship yet. But you talk about what they did was they went to go sympathize and comfort. Those are the mm. three things that you do. Go yeah. sympathize comfort. And that seems super, super straightforward, but some people never even get to the first part. Mm. And a, a lot of times it's because we're afraid we're going to mess it up. Yes. So somebody's going through something really, really bad. And you just think, well, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to do the wrong thing. It would be better if I just stay away. Mm. So how should we go to our friends yes. Yes. to even make that first step in the um, middle of their painful situations? Yes. Uh, empathy is a lot like evangelism. We, we all think we need to be experts to do anything, mm -hmm. right? We don't share our faith with a friend because what if they ask, you know, what, what if they said, I'm not going to church unless you can recite Ezekiel chapter 31 in the, <laughs> like, we, I don't know. We get into our heads, this idea that unless you're some superstar, perfect counselor, Someone's going to be so offended that you, I don't know. Am I wrong? No, normally you're absolutely when, right. Normally when I just show up, even if I stumble and bumble and sit there in silence, people look back and say, I, I remember when you were there. Yep. I don't even remember what you said. I just remember I was barely getting by and you showed up with a, a casserole or you just took me out to coffee. And I don't, I don't remember what we talked about, but you were there. I remember that. So I, I think just, I just wrote in my notes today, just do it, right? So there's, I mean, there are a million variables and conversational topics you don't know, can't control and can't predict. So just, just go, just, <laughs> just take a deep breath, show up, knock on the door, let Jesus do the rest. He, yeah. The Holy Spirit has a way of giving you the words that you need. So back in July, 
on little things. We did the longest road series, which mm. was on child loss. And I interviewed Mary Jo Trotter. She is married to Matt, who's the president and CEO of time of grace. They lost their toddler daughter. And she talked about a coworker who went to the funeral and he never came to the front to like, you know, do what you're supposed to do or anything. But when he saw her, the next time he saw her or whatever, he, he said one word, wow, hmm. that's what he could mom. And you know what? That was profound enough that she remembered it. Yeah. He showed up, he was at the funeral. She saw him at the funeral hmm. and just the fact that he did that. And the only thing he could find himself to muster was the word. Wow. Like overcome by profound sadness, by profound mm -hmm. everything. She remembers it and talks about it to this day. Yeah. So the point being that you do not have to say the right thing mm. and you don't have to bring a casserole. And if you can't make it, you know, anything makes sense except for to send a text that say, I can't get you out of my mind today. And I'm praying mm. because this is unimaginable. That's a way of going yes. like just somehow go whatever yes. it is. Yes. I still yes. remember yes. cards that I've gotten, you know, from people who never showed up, but the cards were like, Amber, you are in my prayers day and night. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. That's a way of going, you know, yes. absolutely do, do something and God will bless it. So you mentioned that you're not the best empathizer. You're not what? big on empathy. <laughs> Did I say no, that? You said it in the sermon. You said no. that you got your group of pastors together and you said that you are the pastor who's like really good with joy. When the good news comes, you, you're like, mm. you know, I'll celebrate with you. Yep. But empathy is not a strong point of yours. And we know from my days at camp that sympathy is not like a big, <laughs> big thing on my list. So what's your advice to those of us who tend to not be, mm. you know, super sympathetic and empathy is not super high on our personality traits. What's our advice? Yeah, man. I actually thought I, you know, obviously you sent me your questions ahead of time. I thought about this one the most. Yeah. Cause you're right. Like, what? Well, yeah. What do I do? Do I, I think there's two temptations, two extremes. Number one is to think like, well, because I'm not good at it. I'm just going to stay totally away from it. You know, maybe like evangelism isn't my gift. So I'm never going to evangelize. Well, maybe empathy isn't my strength. I'll, I'm never going to show it. No, no, that wouldn't be biblical. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes there's no one else who's better. <laughs> someone's got, to, someone's got to throw the pitch and all the pitchers are gone. So like you, you got to get in there and, and do it. Um, but there's also the other extreme of thinking like, of course, I'm going to do everything great. And I don't need other people who are better than this to truly bless a person. So, you know, in my mind, it was that middle road of, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do what I can. And then I'm going to try to really figure out how, how could my strength be a blessing to this person in pain? Right. So I've actually, I was thinking, yeah, this is actually what I do as a pastor. I know that if you just come in and you need to talk and, and you didn't bring a notebook to take notes, and, and you don't really care. I'll quote the Bible and you just go like right back to the last thing you were talking about. That is brutal for me. Like I, I look around and say, what am I doing here right now? Um, some people love that. And I would say, okay, I'll do that when I have to. But what I'm going to do is say, Hey, I'm really good at remembering Bible passages. I listen to tons of podcasts. I read a ton of books. What if maybe my role in your healing and recovery is to find one really good resource. Maybe you're not the person who's going to listen to a hundred podcasts. 
what if I can find one that's really great? Um, oh, I read this book. I took some book notes on it. What if I can just give you my highlights and send that to you in an email, right? So there's, there's something that I can do to use my gift to help you in your situation. Um, I'm not always going to be able to do that perfectly. Sometimes I'm going to have to just step up and be the empathy guy. But I think if we do that, like step in, be honest about who you are, say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, really, I'm really not great at this. I love you. I want to be here for you. And I'm really good at this. And I was thinking that maybe if I fill in the blank, it would be a blessing. Would that help you? So yeah, find that middle road between doing everything and doing nothing. And I think you'll do the something that God wants you to do. Oh, that's beautiful. And I think too, there's something to just praying that God would use you, you know, like mm. I, this is who I am and, and God just used me. Just recently, I heard from our very, very dear friends. Um, their son went to heaven 10 years ago at the age mm. of 21. Wow. And I heard something I had never heard before. My brother, when he was going through the line at the wake, the first words he said to the father were congratulations. And mm. this man said his first instinct was to clock my brother, like mm. punch him, you know, like mm -hmm. congratulations, we're at a wake here. Yeah. And my brother followed up with one of your children is already in heaven. That's wonderful. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? Mm. This man 10 years later came and said to me, you know, it's funny. It rubbed me totally the wrong day the wrong way that day. But he said, I have thought about that so many times afterwards, like one of my children's in heaven. And that is reason to celebrate. So my brother may have said the wrong thing mm. at the wrong time. And God didn't use it that day. Yeah. That day, it was more like a, who do you think you are? Thanks <laughs> yeah. for coming, move along. Mm. But those words God used and has used for 10 years to bring comfort to this man so even in my brother's, you know, lack of sympathy or empathy or saying the right word at the right time, God has used. So there's something to be said for just praying that God would use you as horrible as you are and in, in your lack of everything and yes. just use it for good. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay. Sermon number four is God won't tell me why there's pain. And you say the book of Job is a massive warning about what happens when we insist on asking why, because this is where you cover 35 chapters and it's like Job's <laughs> friends yes. are, and you, you give us the rundown, like Bildad says this and Eliphaz says this and like, it, and it, they're awful. Like one of them says, Job, clearly you've done something. One of them says, well, your children were mm. not as righteous as you thought. I mean, the man has just lost his kids. Yeah. And these friends are, are coming and being like, and they're having this argument with Job mm -hmm. about why all this happened, like back and forth and back and forth. And then you brought into something which is extremely relevant. We do this all the time on social media. If you mm -hmm. allow yourself to get sucked into this, yeah, the whole back and forth, well, why is this happening? And this person's right. No, this person's right. No, you're wrong. And how can you say that? And do you really know? And and the amount of time and energy that is just mm. wasted on thinking you have to come down to why you have to get to the bottom of the why. Mm. And your point being that anytime that we think that we understand a, you know, the mind of God mm -hmm. <laughs> be like everything that's going on in the world, you yes. know, and how it's going anytime we think we're the fool. Mm. So it's a simple, but profound truth. And if we're not careful, it's incredibly hard to teach, isn't it? To say just like, 
oh, don't worry. You'll never figure it out anyway. Don't, don't ask why don't, you know, I mean, yes. that, that doesn't seem quite the answer. So how can we teach and live a simple, profound truth? Yeah. Yeah. This question made me think uh, I was maybe five or six years into being a pastor and uh, a high school girl at our church died of brain cancer. Mm. So I think she was diagnosed when she was four if memory serves. And after 13 years of, you know, surgeries and everything, she didn't make it to her high school graduation. And, uh, I remember being, being there, like going to the house when she was like still there in her mother's arms and just a profound pain. And then here I am, I get to preach at the funeral and all these high school kids are there and mom and dad and her older brother. And, uh, I remember that moment, you know, the, the little girl had always said, Matt, what a faith, huh? She says, you know, if just one person comes to my funeral and mm-hmm. learns about Jesus, this will have been worth it. Um, so I thought, well, if, if a 17 year old can come up with a good reason, imagine God, Oh, right. If, if she could see that with her less than, <laughs> less than high school years of experience, like imagine the all knowing yeah. God of what he could do in this room, in this moment, five years from now, 50, four generations from now, like we, we have no clue where the dominoes of this very sermon or situation go. We, we, and so my, my kind of preaching prop that day was a straw and I kind of held up a straw in front of my eye. And I looked at the people in the church, you know, and all I can see is this tiny little circle. I can see maybe one face out the end of it. And I just said, this is us. You know, you wish you could see the whole, you wish you could see what God, you just wish God, tell me why this happened. And I'll trust you. He's not going to, he hasn't. There's no page for this girl in the back of my Bible. And right now we just have to believe that because of the cross of Jesus, the God who sees it and is satisfied with the the plan and the purpose for it. One day when he, we get to put down the straw and see what he sees, we're going to praise him in faith. But for now we can't. And either you believe he's a good God or a bad one. And whenever I look at a cross and I think that he saved this little girl, he saved me. I say, I'm, I'm going to trust him today. I'm going to take a step of faith and believe that this pain has a good purpose too. Hmm. Yeah. The um, passage, we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes. I mean, that is the straw, you know, that's, we're never going to see the whole big picture. We're just too small Yeah. to see it. So the faith just propels us on. Hmm. Which brings us to sermon five, which is God's non-answer is the answer. So Job questions God. He actually eventually says to his friends, if only I could bring God to court because I didn't do anything wrong. And (laughs) so I would ask God, you know, blah, 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 and prove it. And then God shows up. And so... (laughs) shock of his life, right? He's gone through all this. And then all of a sudden, you know, God shows up and God got very, very big. He appeared in a storm. Mm. And then he asked Job 77 questions. You actually counted them in your Bible, (laughs) which is noble of you. (laughs) So, um, what are some of the things that are reminders for you every day Mm. that God is big? Yeah. And don't tell me about cheese sticks in a pan. Oh, I, I, literally last night for dinner, I made four, I made four of them. Oh, let's not get distracted by my favorite food of the, the food du jour. 
Yeah. Okay. Question. Back. Focus, Mike. Um, <laughs> how do you remember that God is big? Few things really do it like nature. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think that's where God goes actually. In a lot of those questions, he look at the rain, look at the storms, look at the hail, look at the clouds, look at the ocean, look at the animals. Um, th- there's a, we sometimes talk about the revealed and the natural knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. So in the Bible, you find the things that God reveals, like his mercy, his compassion, his love. But in nature, you can learn a ton about God, his bigness and his power. So mm-hmm. l- look up at the stars in the sky and realize that they are nothing to God. Mm-hmm. And they're this vast expanse. You stand in front of a lake, much less an ocean or a sea, and just realize how small you are. Um, go If you think you're a big deal, go swim with a shark without a cage. <laughs> Like a, a great white, great white is God's goldfish, but for you, it's this huge, terrifying thing. Like just remind yourself, even though you got a fancy smartphone in your pocket, you are, you are nothing. The nations are dust on the scales. The Bible says, and if you can remember your smallness compared to God's bigness, maybe before shaking a fist, you're going to say, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I can't remember the passwords to my online accounts. He's God. He's, he is God. I'm so small and forgetful. There are so many things I don't know. I walked on the street. I know one out of a thousand people's names. So maybe before I act all big and high and mighty, I'm going to remember I'm human. He's superhuman. He's God. I'm not. And I'm going to trust him. Yeah. I love this because you said, um, you know, God appeared to Job and he asked him all these questions. And then you think that Job's had his money. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. And God's like round two. So <laughs> you know, those big creatures that you're afraid of. Yeah. They're like pets to me. Like they yes. don't scare me at all. So like, and then too, you, you said, you know, we can't even like, God knows the number of hairs on our heads. Like mm-hmm. we can't even, you said, guess how many hair, you know, are on the head of the person in front of you or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> Um, you know, the things that are so simple for God, you know, he collects every tear in a bottle, like the things that we, we don't know anything when we really look at it and sunrises and sunsets, man, I think if, if nothing else does it for you, just that every day, the sunrise and the sunset and the beauty is just, Mm. it's a painting like nothing else. Yeah. So you mentioned the key is to remember who and who, so the key is to remember who we are. And then to remember who God is. Hmm. And it just seems like such a simple thing to be able to remind ourselves that we're so small and God's so big, but some people, and you mentioned this are going to really, really struggle with that, not having answers. They don't get the whys, and that causes them to stay up late at night and not be able to sleep. Mm-hmm. And you said it just a couple of minutes ago, even you're like someday when the, you know, when it's all taken away, mm-hmm. is it helpful to say, you know, just wait till you get to heaven. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll know then, or, you know, I know your spouse just died, but someday this will all make sense. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's helpful. Is it, or isn't it? Yeah, no, <laughs> that's Here's the, I don't know if this is the best thing to do. Here's what I always do in counseling. Um, I, I see if people can get, get their questions past the cross. Okay. You think that God's forgotten about you. You think maybe he's mad at you. You think he doesn't love you. Boom. Let me tell you about the cross of Jesus. And you convince me that God doesn't like you. All right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know the, I don't know the reason, the plan. I don't have the playbook that I got. There is one. You and I don't know it. 
here's something we do know. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and we're the worst of them. Okay, let's look at the cross of Jesus for a second. Do you think God doesn't love you? What, when you were just a rebel and his enemy and he gave his only son who suffered even worse than your suffering, he did that for his enemies? Okay, what were you saying again? He doesn't love you? He doesn't care about you? That just, it can't be true. You can't, the, the, the cross and these questions or accusations we have about God cannot coexist. And so I think what I try to do instead of, you know, speculate, like maybe this could happen or maybe this could happen. Maybe God's closing a door so he can open a window. Like, okay, yeah, that's true. But I think there's more emotional weight in saying, I know that Jesus Christ died on a cross for the sins of the world. I, I know that, that, that already happened. And so maybe the, the nice resolution to your pain hasn't happened yet. So let's not speculate. Let's go back to what we do know, what God has revealed, what history has recorded. Jesus Christ died for you. So we'll, we'll figure the rest of it out later, but just know that God, God loves you, which is the point of the book of Job. Yeah. And I, I think when you say to, you know, go back to the book, the Bible, you know, you think about Joseph being taken and how none of it made sense, you know, mm-hmm. he, and then his, when his brothers comes and he, and he says, you know, God, in, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good. So he had learned, but it had, t- it had taken a lot of years for him to yes. say, oh, now I see, but mm-hmm. he didn't see it first. He didn't see when he was Potiphar's servant. He didn't see when he was in the dungeon. It wasn't until later that he went, oh, God intended this for good. Mm-hmm. The apostle Paul, when he's sitting chained to two soldiers and he says, even now these soldiers are hearing the word, like the word is being spread, even though I am here, you know, so many times the people in the Bible didn't get it. The disciples certainly didn't understand the crucifixion mm-hmm. until after the resurrection and Jesus coming back and explaining that to them and the Holy spirit coming and go back to the Bible, to all the people who didn't get it, you know, Joshua going into the promised land and not being able to defeat AI and falling on his face and God saying, get up. We've got some problems to deal with here. You know, like, yes, it's all in the word. So true. Have you ever heard the story of uh, William Cowper? Shoot. Who was his friend? Do you know this one? William Cowper? I forgive me. I'm going to get the details wrong. He was a prolific hymn writer who just fiercely battled depression, I think for most of his life. And his friend would always try to tell him God's love, you know, God loves you. God forgives you. And, you know, Culper would just like we do with depression, he'd believe it and he'd write a hymn about it. And then it'd all fall apart and he'd doubt it and question it and up and down and up and down until the moment comes when William Culper is dying and his friend is standing by his bedside. He's like, God loves you. You're going to go to heaven. Jesus forgives you. He's for you. You know, and his friend who's fighting back and arguing with him, he, he finally takes his last breath. He dies. His friend waits one second. And then he says, I told you so. <laughs> That's beautiful. I hope we all have friends in our life like that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So we, we, we might fight it. You know, our sinful nature is going to question why God, I mean, it's, it's part of our, nasty human experience that we just don't trust him all the time, but there will be a day yeah. when I, maybe God will say that to us. You know, you take your last breath and there he is smiling. I told you so. I love it. <laughs> That's great. Good stuff. Well, go watch the series by all means, because it's a, 
it's a fantastic look at the book of Job in a way that you probably haven't looked at it before. Even if you're a lifelong Christian, like I am, it was very um, profound yeah. in many ways. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So, Hey, if you're listening right now and maybe, maybe let's give you some homework. If you can think of someone right now that you know, and love that's going through kind of a hard time, maybe financially, maybe at school, uh, maybe mental health relationship, fertility, um, chronic pain, whatever it might be. Here's your homework. If you want to like, and subscribe, great. But maybe just, you know, copy this, share this with someone who really needs it. Um, you might not know what to say to them in their midst of their pain, but maybe there's something in this conversation that Amber and I have that God could use as a little seed to grow something big. Um, also, if you want to go deeper on this topic, certainly check out the sermon series, Seriously, God. Um, and then at timeofgrace.org, you can find a book that's going to take it even deeper. It's called When Life Hurts. So it has a supplement study by our own Dr. Bruce Becker. So if uh, yeah, pain is a part of your story, you're going to want to pick up When Life Hurts from timeofgrace.org. Another great resource that we mentioned uh, is Amber's podcast called Little Things. And she did a really powerful series called The Longest Road. So if you're interested in that, you can go to wherever you love to listen to your podcasts, search for Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson, and you will be blessed by some really great, deep and honest conversations. Well, Amber, thanks so much for a great conversation. I know, man, it feels like whenever we talk candidly about pain and suffering, it helps people. So I hope someone was helped and blessed by our conversation today. Me too. That's what I'll be praying. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time at Time of Grace.